real food is something the keto community can rally behind and support as we shift away from the sugary, grainy, starchy, food-like disease agents sold in grocery stores and more towards high-quality food that nourishes our bodies. That's why I love ButcherBox. Visit butcherbox.com jimmy and you'll get an exclusive deal on 100% grass-fed beef, organic chicken, and heritage breed pork delivered right to your door for $6.50 a meal. That includes free shipping and $10 off your order, plus a free smoked bratwurst. Butcher Box has a commitment to supplying only the very finest cuts of grass-fed and pastured meats you can find anywhere. The best and most convenient part for our busy lifestyles is they ship your box to wherever you are so you can fire up the grill and enjoy food you can believe in again. Again, it's Butcher Box. Visit butcherbox.com slash Jimmy for this exclusive deal for my listeners. Do you miss pizza because it's not a part of your low-carb lifestyle? Then let me introduce you to Real Good Pizza Company. Go to realgoodpizzaco.com and you'll see they have grain-free, gluten-free pizzas that are frozen, 25 grams of protein, 4 grams of carbohydrates, and lots and lots of healthy fats. They only use real food ingredients, almost no carbs, and it's perfect for any low-carb and ketogenic lifestyle. The crust is made from all-natural Parmesan and chicken. The chicken is antibiotic-free and hormone-free. The tomatoes in the sauce and the vegetables in the Supreme are non-GMO, and the cheese is locally sourced and all-natural as well. It's healthy, guilt-free pizza that actually tastes like a pizza. Again, it's called Real Good Pizza. Head on over to realgoodpizzaco.com and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off your order as well as free shipping. Real good pizza. Coming up in episode 1187, Dr. Laszlo Bors. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and internet best-selling author you're like the LL Cool J of podcast Jimmy Moore today's featured audio is from the 2016 on nutritional ketosis and metabolic therapeutics conference that took place in Tampa Florida earlier this year sign up now at metabolictherapeuticsconference.com for next year's Tampa event coming February 1st through the 4th 2017. Thank you, and I wanted to thank Angela and Dominic for uh, the kind introduction and the invitation. So um, I'm going to talk about a substrate-based uh, label, labeling method um, that is uh, um, in 25 years in the, in the work, and obviously 13C-guided metabolomics is something new to offer to uh, basic science and animal research as well as clinical science. And I, I'd like to cover 
a few critical areas just to, to, to make you understand a little bit um, better about what the tracer means and uh, what the purpose of it. Practically, it's to, as, as Dominic was mentioning, it, it, to monitor the fate of specific substrates. And I'm emphasizing specific because we are looking for um, uh, targeted information in the metabolic network and relate that to biology and more importantly, find relevant enzyme reactions uh, in, in very complicated metabolic networks to uh, address a number of things. One is what disease markers and disease, disease states are that we can determine using this, this technology, what drug response to expect, and what are the individual variations in metabolism and I'm gonna talk a little bit about sports medicine. Uh, there are many other applications that I'm not gonna cover uh, today in my talk. And uh, in, in the previous talks, um, we saw this. This is what we end up when we try to um, decode metabolism. It's a number of, actually it's an overwhelming number of reactions. Some of them are uh, reversible, some of them are irreversible. And uh, truly there are a lot of substrates and potential products, and those products are potential substrates of other enzymes, and there are alternative routes that metabolites and metabolic channels take eventually. Uh, so to navigate in this network, for example, determining how much glucose and how much ketone bodies would contribute to any, diff any, any product in the system, and what the fate of these uh, substrates uh, is, is really where the tracers are used, and without the tracer, be honest, it, some answers cannot be found. So the tracers are really critical uh, to understand exactly um, without um, compromising the, the biochemical reactions, uh, answering some specific questions, and the first breakthrough, I believe, in this field um, was that when with Dr. Paul Lee at UCLA, we could measure an enzymatic reaction called non-oxidative pathways uh, driven by transkylase in the pentocycle using glucose, which was labeled on the first two carbon positions with 13C. Now, before we would go any further, I, I'd like to tell you what this 13C and how different it, it is from 12C and following the fate of these two carbons, what kind of information it was giving in a system that was actually utilizing this tracer. And uh, as we recovered these carbons from various products, we were able to measure an enzyme or set of enzyme reactions called a non-oxidative branch of the pentocycle in tumor cells without actually isolating the enzymes. So back then it was, it was really a big deal because we could actually show that there is a way of looking at in vivo or in, um, uh, in, in culture, in living cells, we could actually determine uh, enzyme flux and, and we could actually correlate this with a, with a cancer phenotype. So um, what 13C is that I need to tell you what, well, you probably know, but just to refresh your uh, physics, uh, 12C is the natural uh, carbon that is the abundant carbon in our planet in the atmosphere, and it has uh, 12 particles, protons and neutrons, six of them are protons and six of them are neutrons, and that gives you the atomic mass number of 12. 
uh, what you're probably more familiar of is with is the C14, which they use in carbon dating. And it's actually a carbon isotope that has uh, six protons because it's carbon. And it has actually eight neutrons because it has two extra neutrons. And it's a non-stable radiating isotope. And it has a half-life of about uh, uh, 5,700 years. And uh, it has an atomic mass unit of, of 14. And there's C13, which is a stable isotope. It has six protons and seven neutrons. It's, it's non-radiating, it's stable, and it's heavier than C12. And uh, use, using this feature of this carbon, uh, that being heavier, it's, it's easy to trace. Well, I wouldn't say easy, but it's possible to chase through um, various metabolic pathways by the, the mass shift or the increase in mass in any product that is synthesized from the glucose that is, that is labeled with this. And it's a replacement of C12 with C13. And obviously, the trick to it is our air or our atmosphere has this carbon, carbon dioxide in the form of carbon, carbon dioxide. In fact, 1.1% of all carbons are in our planet, our C13, these heavier carbons, as we breathe in and out now, we actually 1.1% or out of 1,000, 11 carbon is C C13. We can collect those in tanks and actually we can carry these tanks to an algae culture and then we can grow algae or any plant on this carbon source, which is C13, uh, as CO2 turn the lights on and we get uh, algae cultures or algae grown, and all the components of this algae will be labeled with C13. And then, um, because of the photosynthesis uh, product uh, uh, biomolecules, based on the water, breaking the water with light, actually this hydrogen that uh, we generate from water or the plants, they actually take this hydrogen into the carbon cycle and using C13 as the only source of carbons, these plants will actually make C13 labeled products that includes glucose and also fatty acids or ketone bodies if they are broken down. So using this technology and buying various type of tracers, you can actually follow and trace any kind or any type of, of biochemical reaction that uses these substrates. And they do. Actually, glucose is a very uh, broadly used substrate uh, for uh, nucleic acid synthesis and for energy production. And we heard about these uh, in previous talks. And fatty acids, for example, uniformly labeled C13 palmitate, uh, is what we have been using in cultures. And we, we've been using this in human studies. So actually, we can actually put these in diets or provide this in diets in small amounts and recovering these carbons in different various products, we can actually determine the fate of these, of these tracers. Now, there's this, there are many options as, by, as far as buying shorter chain fatty acids or glucose that is labeled in specific positions. Uh, we can actually interpret now because of our work and experience with these tracers, we can interpret these tracers um, very broadly uh, in the metabolic network. Now, these are non-toxic chemicals, meaning that the FDA cleared 
us, there's no new drug approval, there's no investigation or drug application necessary to give these tracers to patients, meaning that we have to inform the patients, but since there is no risk involved in um, elevating C13 above the natural abundance, there's very little risk. We can actually use these tracers in metabolic studies, and as I mentioned to you, for example, the molar mass of, of palmitate is 272, and replacing these carbons with C13, which, which each adds one dalton to the, to, the, to the molecule, then you're gonna end up with uh, an increased 270, well, the natural, actually this should be uh, 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 palmitate 256, and then when, once you add the, the tracer, it will increase the mass by the number of, of carbons. So, and that's about the 6.2% change in mass in the substrate, in the palmitate. So cells don't really pick this up. They can utilize this tracer without any measurable biochemical um, uh, scale, meaning that they, they metabolize this uh, uh, thoroughly uh, without uh, any isotope effect. Um, especially in the enrichment that we give, usually it's 0.5 to one gram per kilogram in human studies. Uh, glucose price is now about $200 uh, dollars per gram. Uh, it was cheaper uh, about five years ago. We could buy it for $80, but since so many people are getting interested in tracer-labeled metabolomics, now you have to wait six months before, or actually the suppliers, they just wish you good luck to get it. But uh, some quotes, I have to, they told me I have to wait a year. So um, th there are major suppliers like Cambridge and Isotac. There is a, some shortage of the supply, but, and the price is going up, but it's definitely uh, something that is getting more and more into the mainstream of biomedical research. Now, <clears throat> how do we follow, trace them? We use mesh spectrometers and uh, uh, biological gas chromatography and mass spectrometry, GCMS, can nowadays uh, find or detect about 400 uh, metabolites with 13C labeled uh, isotopomers, we call them, or positional isotopes. Um, and, and actually, uh, based on what product we select, we can look at fragments of this, we can actually look at metabolism of glucose or palmitate very thoroughly, and this is what I'm gonna talk about um, in, in, in the rest of my talk. Now, in, in mass spectrometry, uh, the force and the acceleration, it depends on, the, on, on mass, and that's Newton's, Newton's second law. And this is what, it's a very basic, very simple principle. Once a metabolite gets labeled with heavy 13C, it will slow down in a very general term in a mass spectrometer, and the impact uh, in a photoelectron multiplier will be different if the metabolite is labeled with uh, C13. So using the, the mass spectrometry, biological mass spectrometry, we can actually uh, uh, test the biochemical network of how if, uh, efficiently it metabolizes our tracer over time into various products. So now we have a chance of looking at two different tracers and looking at a single product and determine which substrate contribute more efficiently to the production of, of any metabolite of, of, of interest. Now, we, we have actually expanded the technology. So now we, 
it's, it's sufficient to use one tracer, for example, glucose. We can tell a lot about uh, fatty acid metabolism just labeling glucose. So we cut down on the amount of work and the number of studies that you have to run with these tracers. But practically now we have a tool and a substrate environment so we can navigate in this very complicated metabolic network. So of interest, for example, in tumor cells, glucose and uh, contribution to pyruvate, for example, or contribution to nucleic acid synthesis. Now, over time, we can determine the exact rates and we can actually see if there is any drug effect or there's any uh, change in metabolic reactions or, or use alternative pathways by tumor cells just to tackle some of the problems. Now, how do we label with uh, fatty acid? Um, for example, if we apply uh, uh, palmitate, it will yield uh, acetylcoenzyme A that will actually get processed in the mitochondria. And following the, the fate of these two carbons, which are labeled from, which are coming from fatty acids, we can actually trace through the entire uh, TC cycle. And uh, uh, eventually, these uh, labeled carbons will end up in gluconeogenic products, and gluconeogenesis is a, is a huge part of some of the tumor cell phenotypes. And obviously, uh, uh, following uh, the fate of, of acetylcoenzyme A or acetate or short-chain fatty acids will give us a good understanding of how ketogenic diet, for example, labels certain products all the way to glycogen and all the way to fatty acids, and we can determine if there is relation between fatty acid oxidation and, for example, nucleic acid synthesis, and in between, we can determine a number of very critical uh, biochemical reactions in the way. Now, I'm not gonna uh, just at this point touch on, on some of the details of this um, uh, mitochondrial uh, uh, set of reactions, but, but there's gonna be uh, a very important role of, of water or metabolic water that is produced from fatty acids that is different from our drinking water. And this is what I'm, 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 I'm covering partially in my talk just, uh, and later in my poster, just to give you a good idea of how these things work. But, but in the meantime, um, uh, so using tracers in metabolomics have been really a gift as far as uh, uh, finding very specific information in, in various metabolic networks. And cancer is, uh, is, uh, is obviously one major area simply because cancer cells are so unique in their metabolism. And um, using these tracers, we have learned a lot about uh, uh, tumor cells. new things that nobody would have expected before. And this is how I got into this with Dr. Lee at UCLA. We had this um, dispute over pentocycle being involved in tumor cell proliferation. And uh, so we had to use a tracer practically to decide to see exactly what's the contribution of glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase and transkinase uh, to uh, nucleic acid synthesis. Okay, so once we label um, a metabolic network, then we're gonna have labeled products. And these labeled products will tell you 
in a in a in a challenge, meaning that this is a, for example this is a study we did with the National Cancer Institute, and these are tumor cells from kidney cancer with Dr. Marston Linehan, and. Uh, uh, using a normalized scale, you can actually, we can actually see labeled fractions and positional labeling in various, various uh, metabolites that include nucleic acid, it, has a, it includes nuclear membrane fatty acids, uh, it includes glutamate, which is a product of the TC cycle, it has a 13CO2 release, which is complete oxidation product, and lactate, which is the product of glycolysis. And based on the labeled fractions, we can determine what is the relation of these um, metabolites to the substrate that was labeled in the study. And actually, we can run a statistics, a correlation statistics, uh, determining, for example, what product is in relation or in uh, products, uh, substrate product relationship with glucose, labeled glucose in the system. For example, use, for example, labeled glucose consumption as the reference range. We can find certain metabolic reactions in the metabolic network that correlate and has a, have, have a close correlation coefficients with glucose consumption. And there's another set of reactions that are not really correlating with glucose consumption. We know those are not biologically relevant or important to glucose metabolism in these tumor cells. Now, some people would ask, like, how, how about glutamine? Should we do a glutamine tracer study to find out glutamine uh, uh, product uh, relationships? No, we don't have to because glutamine is already cross-labeled from glucose, so we just need to select glutamate, label glutamate as the, the, as the reference range, and we're gonna see with glutamine labeling, there is a lot of uh, products, including fatty acids and lignoceric acid, which is a, which is fatty acids and, and nucleic acids, which actually have a positive correlation coefficient with glutamine in the same system, so we know this is a reductive carboxylating phenotype, because actually the products are uh, correlating, uh, product labeling is correlating with labeled glutamate that is cross-labeled from glucose. So sometimes this type of approach and labeled uh, 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 substrate product relationships actually give you a lot of insights and you, you can actually select any of these uh, uh, products, labeled products as substrates and correlate the rest of the metabolic network with them and this is just a set of the data um, we actually use thousands of, of thousands of data points to find these correlation and regression patterns in, in a tracer label data set. Um, so now we have a tracer uh, related uh, uh, numeric um, set of values that can actually relate back to the product and substrate relationships that as many regression statistics you want to run, this data set will, will tell you what is, how this metabolic network, uh, uh, how is this metabolic network operating and what is the relationship between any uh, substrate and potential product and what are the phenotypic changes or differences uh, uh, between cancer cells or even individuals. So this type of data will give you an understanding of uh, drug effect, for example, and also individual variations in uh, metabolism. Now, w what if we don't use tracers? Um, because there's a lot of metabolomics approaches where actually they don't use tracers. 
uh, you actually end up with non-reproducible -re data. And this is a, a paper from Scripps Institute uh, recently published. Um, and what they were saying that actually it's, it's from, uh, from Gay, from Scripps, and they were sending samples to various uh, laboratories and no one could, could come back with the same data. And they blamed like thermal degradation of small molecules. There were some, some, some uh, like kind of ideas of what really causing this very non-reproducible data set, which is without tracer label metabolomics. And what you can see here is that with SCMS, liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry, and GCMS, it just depends on what laboratory you use. You always get back some, some different data sets, meaning that no one could, could really tell what, what's happening. And now this is getting, this paper is getting a lot of discussions. Why? Because it seems that labeling is going to be essential to use metabolomics in a more solid way. Without labeling metabolomics, like measuring metabolite concentrations, when you don't know if it's coming from diet, it's coming from the wrapping paper, it's coming from like whatever the patient is not even telling you, uh, that's really risking as far as data interpretations. So um, it's, without tracers, metabolomics is almost slipping into this oncogene theory where actually there are like millions of them now, but nobody really knows what to do with them. And we are afraid that metabolomics without tracers is going to slip into the same arena, meaning that they're not going to know exactly what substrate product relationships are or some metabolites where they are coming from. And there's going to be a, a lot of data that will be hard to interpret. And more data you generate without tracers, less uh, efficiency you have to explain substrate product relationships without tracers. Now, the tracer labeled fractures are internal standards. So the advantage of using a tracer labeled substrate is that you know exactly when you started the experiment, the clock is ticking, and products are labeled. So you know the product and source relationships very accurately. And, and, and because of, of, of there's a time and there's a dose response scale, you can actually always challenge the system, and this is what we do. We always challenge the system over time to actually see correlations of labeled substrate and products, meaning that we give almost like a, a, a running, like a, like a sprint, we give the metabolites enough time to actually get labeled based on their synthesis patterns, and that's what we call the challenge. And because these stabilized top labeled ratios cannot be changed by heat, cannot be changed by extraction methods, these are highly reproducible. Richard Beeger from the FDA analyzed, because they have a SIDMAP lab in, in Arkansas, they analyzed data in their lab and they sent the fellow to my lab in Los Angeles using stabilized top labeled platforms and the two data sets were undistinguishable. It's simply because isotope ratios cannot be changed by any non-biological process. So these, are, these isotope ratios of any metabolite, even though the concentrations may not be exactly the same, because of thermal uh, instabilities, the, the ratios, isotope ratios, are always the same. So as long as you get a spectral peak, you can, you're going to uh, produce very consistent data. So we wrote a paper, uh, a roadmap uh, study, how to interpret and how to use these tracer-based technologies uh, with uh, some of the 
the uh, major contributors historically to the field. Um, and uh, the, the MIT people well, are in here, uh, UCLA and uh, uh, the Harvard people are here. So, so we, we have uh, compiled a good uh, set of investigators or called together uh, a prominent set of investigators. And we decided that the best scenario to apply tracers is, is to challenge the system over time points or dose response and actually look at metabolite levels just with the context of labeling patterns because, and i tell you a story, at, at Pfizer there was an old study where actually they found these very unique metabolites in rats and everybody was happy, like they found something. But the weird thing was that they, they only found this weird metabolite on Wednesdays, and that's, that's when this guy was actually on duty taking care of the animals who was giving them sweet potato haze because he thought like he would be just, like the animals would be happier. Without the tracer, you can't really distinguish between, uh, between metabolites of what their source is, and that's a huge confounding factor in metabolomics. Uh, trust me on that. Hey guys, we're back here again with Dave Korzunski from Heads Up Health. Have you been to headsuphealth.com yet? Well, if you haven't, then you probably don't know about all the amazing data that you can put in there. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today, Dave, is how does all this work? If somebody goes to headsuphealth.com, tell them what they can expect. Sure. So it's very simple to connect up all of the different medical facilities that have your records. We can do this electronically from over 2,000 facilities. We can also integrate all of the data you're collecting from your own devices and apps at home, scales, glucometers, apps, and you can also just enter any other data that's pertinent to your health goals manually. And then we give you the tools to visualize it. You can set up your own customized dashboards. You can start to do your own N equals one experiments. Yep. You can start to do your own exploration looking for your own correlations, which is different for every person. And then most importantly, we give you the ability to share that information with anyone in your care team who you want to solicit input from. I love that. And you recently got ketonics to integrate with your data there as well. So people that are using that breath ketone meter definitely is a great tool. Again, it's called Heads Up Health and it is free in case you missed that. It is a free service, headsuphealth.com. Are you seeking to be in nutritional ketosis and need a pain-free, inexpensive, and non-invasive way to determine whether or not you are effectively burning fat for fuel? Then get your hands on the FDA-registered Class 1 medical device called Ketonics. It's a breath analyzer you can use thousands of times to test for the presence of acetone, the primary ketone body in the breath. It's been developed by a Swedish engineer with epilepsy as an alternative to the failed urine ketone strips and the expensive blood ketone strips. Ketonics is the first and best way to test for nutritional ketosis in the breath. Plus, you'll be able to chart your readings into convenient data to customize your ketogenic diet to you. Get your hands on the Ketonics 2015 in red or blue in North America for $150 at ketonics.co or get your Ketonics in the rest of the world at ketonics.com. So if you look at steady state labeling or steady state time points, even there the labeling gives you a good, good idea of, of where to go. Now, uh, let's get to the dose response or let's get to the, the specific uh, anti-cancer drug action and let me tell you a little bit about Gleevec. 
Um, Glivec is a targeted cancer drug, and it's very effective in leukemia. Actually, it, 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 it's almost like curative in, in chronic myeloid leukemia. There is a long five, four to five years uh, uh, time of, of uh, disease-free survival, and uh, it's, it's actually a, um, a metabolic enzyme regulator. It, it's, it, it was uh, developed by Novartis. And I, I really wanted to know how this drug works. And I actually uh, uh, started uh, looking at metabolic networks based on glucose labeling. And what we found that actually Glivac turns the 13CO2 release from glucose into, uh, into a uh, 13C labeling from palmitate, meaning that actually the, the effect how Glivac works is actually it introduces a ketogenic diet into these tumor cells. So it cuts down glucose oxidation in the mitochondria and enforces unlabeled fatty acids being oxidized. And this is practically the first uh, tracer-based evidence that, and this is the, this negative number that I'm talking about here in uh, leukemia cells, the highest dose of, of uh, STI-571 or Glivac, uh, actually even there was glucose uptake, labeled glucose uptake, we could not recover it in the form of carbon dioxide. Meaning that actually these cells switch to a ketogenic diet in response to a targeted uh, drug treatment. Now interestingly, the New England Journal of Medicine, we published this work in 2001 this, this artwork was published in, in, uh, in 2001. And uh, the New England Journal of Medicine in 2002, I believe, uh, published a paper um, in 2002 about uh, Glivac as a new oral targeted therapy. And they went after the mechanism and they identified all these signaling pathways which is, I guess, platelet-derived growth factor, the BCR-ABLE, and they were seek it, and so on. So I got curious, uh, just simply that, like, why they wouldn't cite something that is beyond these signaling pathways and the biological endpoints. So I wrote a letter to the editor of New England Journal of Medicine. I told him, listen, uh, at the end of the day, uh, and this is our, our, our correspondence with this paper. At the end of the day, actually the control of glucose substrate flux is an important mechanism how this drug works. It's nice to have this kind of this signaling kind of steam show, but you know, truly at the end of the day of these signaling pathways, there is a metabolic hallmark, a metabolic effect, and that is actually forcing ketogenic diet in these tumor cells, practically, Besides the genetic and the signaling, signaling effects, there is a downstream metabolic impact, and that is consistent with a glucose to, from glucose to ketogenic diet. And actually, knowing this phenomenon, actually we will be able, hopefully, we will be able to target other tumor cells beyond this signaling pathway, and that's gonna be a ketogenic approach, or switching from a glucose to, to a ketogenic diet. Well, not necessarily as part of the drug action or signaling effect, but actually introducing ketogenic diet or fatty acid oxidation into uh, substrate, into metabolism, and providing that for, uh, for tumor cells. Now, I, I wanted to 
point out that ketogenic diets or fat diets are very unique in the sense that they produce water in the mitochondria that is deuterium depleted water. Deuterium is the isotope of hydrogen. It has a very strong kinetic isotope effect. It actually, deuterium on DNA is almost like an epigenetic event. Well, it is an epigenetic event. And if, if we introduce a ketogenic diet into mitochondrial metabolism as a prime substrate, the, the result of that is, is uh, deuterium uh, depleted water production. It's because fatty acids are by nature depleted of deuterium. I'm not gonna talk about this. It, it goes back to photosynthesis. I'm, I'm gonna have a poster later. If you're interested, we can go to the mechanism, but it will take us a, a little bit too, too long uh, to explain. But trust me, it is the case. And obviously, this water, when it's recycled into metabolism or in, 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 in the form of malic acid through fumarate hydratase, which was actually described by Albert Sandjordi, and this points back to Dr. Seyfried's uh, comment about uh, Dr. Uh, um, uh, being uh, interested in, in clarifying cancer as a metabolic disease, it leads back to this electron chain transport and hydrogen processing and deuterium depletion. Obviously, Dr. Sandor, he did not know about deuterium because he got the Nobel Prize in 37. Deuterium was discovered in 1932. By the time he isolated fumarate hydratase in 1928, actually deuterium was not known at that time. My grandparents knew him, and I'm very proud of it, that my grandma and, and uh, the Sandjordis, they lived on the same floor in the same apartment building in Seged. So, um, to me, this is really a, a huge uh, 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 aspiration and, and uh, um, trigger to be a scientist. Now, it seems that mitochondria recycles this deuterium depleted water and it takes it, this deuterium depleted carbons will end up in, in uh, uh, nucleic acid uh, ribose and deoxyribose. This is very important because deuterium or hydrogen will control your radiotherapy sensitivity in cancer. And this is really important because the sugar backbone break or how easy it is to break by radiation depends on how much deuterium there is on the fifth carbon of your sugar backbone of DNA. And there are papers on that and it's on my poster. We can discuss this mechanism later. Now, the pentose cycle also has the same characteristic, processing various carbons, and with the tracer we can uh, trace through metabolism very specifically. And uh, the second carbon of glucose from starch, from beans and spinach has no deuterium, and through the oxidative branch of the pentose cycle combined with the non-oxidative branch, you can actually revert that carbon back to the fifth carbon of ribulose or deoxyribose, which will make your tumor cells sensitive to radiation therapy. And this comes very handy with radiation therapy enhancing, uh, ketogenic diet enhancing radiation therapy. It's because it protects deterioration of the fifth carbon of, of your DNA backbone. 
So there are mechanisms that are emerging from this type of approach, which I would like to offer to investigators attending this meeting uh, to, to actually look at these possible scenarios and utilize this in their clinical work or when they are talking to physicians. Now, it's not easy because obviously you have to know a little bit of biochemistry and these labeling before you would interpret such data and would make some claim, would make such claims, but it's definitely worth of talking to a biochemist and starting educating students with this regard. Now, UCLA is now uh, caught in a deuterobolomics course, which is offered to the honor students. So we are working on that with uh, a number of investigators, and hopefully we can start. Instead of teaching uh, uh, medical students uh, kind of uh, less of a use genomics information, which probably not gonna use very much in the near future, hopefully, we can start teaching them some solid biochemistry based on tracer labeling, and that will make a big difference as far as how physicians will think about metabolic and metabolomics approaches. Now, do you guys know who this guy is, by any chance? You can go ahead and... Okay, so, um, this is Brett Hundley, he's the, He's the quarterback of uh, Green Bay Packers now. And, uh, um, and let's look at his performance. His production was solid, much better with his footwork, and very natural outside the pocket. Over the last two years, scored four touchdowns through the air. Hundley, a bullet. Janice, there's number five! How about that? Currently on other rosters, but they could get cut, and they could wind up back here in Green Bay. Ooh. Oh, and he's got the receiver on the move. Pincard, a foot race. Larry Pincard, undrafted out of Old Dominion, takes it to the house. Fourth and goal. Hundley. Oh, wide open. White. Hundley with three touchdown passes so far. Make it four. Miles White, his second. So here's his uh, statistics. Um, and then uh, at ESPN Sports Science, they put 17 sensors in his body. And um, he went in for a, for a, for a performance that he was at UCLA. We beat USC four times when he was the quarterback, which is, trust me, it's a huge deal. And uh, so this is where they put the sensors on his body. And uh, he, he's on a ketogenic diet. I'm, I'm just showing this to you so you can compare his performance based on these numbers. The first test they do is they actually measure the, the rotation of his, well, the release time, how fast he can release the ball for a certain uh, length, and also what is the angular velocity or what is the, how many degrees his shoulder would, would actually turn. And he's faster than Teddy Bridgewater uh, by, uh, by uh, several percentages. And then what they do is they test his throwing ability and picking the right target based on the colors of the target uh, circle, meaning that he can only throw the ball 
through the, through the circle, which has green lights, and actually they switch these green lights very quickly. So this athlete has to be fit mentally, and he has to be fit physically, and really truly prepare him for this type of, uh, he, he's talking to the, uh, to the, uh, to the program uh, manager, and now they are actually moving these targets, and he has to do a 15 yard throw based on, on uh, uh, changing the colors very rapidly, and uh, in some cases, he was actually doing close to 90 or 100 percent, meaning that, and that was amazing, when he came back home after this test, uh, I was telling him that, I mean, I've never seen somebody being playing so impressed. So now they are moving the targets uh, of players that are moving towards him, and you can see his statistics. Um, they show the, the movements, his body position, and so on. It's all analysis. So he had to throw six, and six, he, he, he definitely, five, five away. So out of five, and out, well, that's the, the, the first target is throwing five, and if it's, if, if it's 100%, then they keep moving. But anyways, um, now they bring in the defenders with these, um, with these uh, uh, objects moving in. So, Eventually, it's almost like a football game, and it's really impressive how he uh, performed as, as far as uh, his physical ability and also his mental uh, abilities. Um, so I almost beat him in ping pong. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, truly, uh, just working with an athlete like him, now he's, he's, he's gonna play probably in the next seasons because he's a rookie, so he's learning, but uh, it's really amazing just uh, just to see what what kind of physical and mental abilities they possess based on the diet and dietary adjustments. Now, we also give him a little bit of deuterium depleted water, just so that in his mitochondria there is less of an isotope effect of deuterium when he's synthesizing ATP, meaning that deuterium has a huge isotope effect in ATP synthase and actually using um, hydrogen uh, instead of uh, deuterium, uh, using deuterium depleted water, you can actually relieve some of these proteins and enzymes and relieve the isotope effects of deuterium, not only from DNA and RNA, but also from the ATP synthesis process. So um, taken together, um, even though his golf game didn't improve much because all his golf balls ended up in my swimming pool and he told me like, why don't I just stand there and catch him? I was like, no way, this is really uh, risky. Yet he's really truly a very um, alert um, athlete about his, um, about his uh, physical condition and actually since he's a religious uh, person and really a, a very nice kind guy, um, his motto is no drugs in sports, but perfectly, perfect mitochondrial priming, and this is what we can do with these ketogenic diets, with this deuterium depletion, and understanding the mechanisms, how to be competitive in this very uh, competitive field is truly where I uh, take this technology as so far the most attractive uh, as far as sports medicines go. So um, with that, uh, I'd like to focus on uh, and mention one last thing, and this is uh, the paper we just published in uh, Medical Hypothesis, 
with uh, Dr. Agostino and uh, Dr. Katz from, from uh, Johns Hopkins University and Dr. Rode, who is actually a complex four expert, uh, water you know, mitochondrial water production, deuterium depletion, and also uh, with Gabor Shomyai, who is actually the first uh, investigator who raised the importance of deuterium in uh, physiology. So for the experts, uh, we, we really believe that actually understanding deuterium biochemistry will explain a lot of uh, effects that ketogenic diets uh, introduce in our metabolism. And uh, with that, I just uh, um, wanted to invite you to a, um, after thanking all these people, um, the organizers, I just wanted to invite you to the poster later if you want to discuss any of these mechanisms in details. And you can actually download the poster from here, or you can go to the website, which is a, uh, uh, a YouTube website where there are many other talks that cover the same topic. With that, I want to thank you for your attention. It's not, only, it's not only antibiotics, but any targeted drug, including um, specific kinase inhibitors, uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors, as well as uh, uh, antibiotics, who, which actually target mitochondria, will have an anti-cancer effect. And it leads back to Dr. Seyfried's uh, talk. Um, actually, mitochondria, because of uh, all the mechanisms that he mentioned, and I would add this deuterium depleted water production, eventually are very essential to understand cancer physiology and biology. Why? I'll tell you why. Because all the cancer drugs, including Avastin, Gleevec, uh, we have studied, and I've studied a few, they all depend on mitochondrial function. If, for example, Avastin is effective in a cell line, but you knockout complex one, one of the deuterium depleting fatty acid oxidizing, uh, well, cofactors that actually take hydrogens from fatty acids, actually Avastin has no effect anymore. So drug resistance to these targeted drugs very much depend on, the, on, on intact mitochondria. Now, uh, cancer being a metabolic disease, 
Uh, it goes back to Warburg and then Dr. Sandjordi. We raised in 1995, we published a paper in Medical Hypothesis saying that cancer is a cellular metabolic disease targeting the pentocycle. And now there are many other papers coming out involving uh, mitochondria and additional substrate relationships, glutamine and so on. Now, they all have some kind of an impact uh, uh, on mitochondrial metabolism. I, we still have arguments over like really truly, like glutamine is probably very important in brain cancer because glutamine is, the tissue concentration is very high, but in other cancers, glutamine is probably not that important because the plasma, plasma concentration of glutamine is very low. If you measure glutamine concentrations, it's really dependent on dietary conditions. So the, the plasma concentration of glutamine, if they measure it, is probably less than one millimolar. It's, it's one-fifth of what glucose is, or, or glycerol that comes from triglycerides. So, but in, in certain tissues, for example, in brain cells, glutamine, glucose, fatty acids, and ketone bodies are all important to understand how they contribute to macromolecule synthesis. The unique feature of fatty acids is that they are deuterium depleted. They don't carry deuterium under, under carbon, so the water that you produce from deuterium depleted fat is deuterium, deuterium depleted water. Now in tumor cells, when there is no uh, uh, mitochondrial function, deuterium depleted drinking water will be your only option to control your deuterium content in your, in your tumor cells. And in fact, it's a very effective treatment of cancer. In Europe, there's gonna be a clinical trial with deuterium depleted water that is starting in a few months, and uh, Dominic saw the GMP certified uh, good manufacturing pharmaceutical grade deuterium depleted water that is given to cancer patients to actually uh, deal with their, you know, to treat their disease. The survival is, is, is really overwhelming, meaning that in pancreatic cancer, which actually have an average of six months of survival, and some patients live for 40 months, and the last clinical trial that we stopped at 40 months, 17 patients were still alive out of the 32. So really, truly, as far as improving their quality of life without toxicities, it's really a huge deal. Obviously, we have to go through the, excuse me, the same clinical like trials that drug companies would, but once we are done with these trials, we can have something to offer with a very clear mechanism that links Dominic's work, Dr. Seyfried's work, our work, and everybody else who kind of brings in ketogenic diet in one clinical scenario or relation to the other, it all link to mitochondria and probably this deuterium depleted metabolic matrix water production is a very essential part of it. It's interesting that in Egypt, they actually drink the blood and the urine of the camel which only oxidizes fat and produces deuterium depleted water as an anti-cancer remedy. It's kind of, you know, I wouldn't offer it to anybody yet. <laughs> Truly, historically, if you look back, the, you, you, you find many anecdotal and also many medical evidence that all these areas will come together and we can offer a very solid clinical, background for clinicians and patients to actually explain why and how it works and what markers there are to test efficacies. So
the fact that it just adds briefly, uh, it sounds like the deuterium depleted water would be a better treatment than the antibiotics, or do you think they could be together? No, no. So, okay. In normal conditions, mitochondria produces water, so you don't need deuterium-depleted water. But cancer cells, who actually don't use mitochondria very efficiently, they become deuterium-depleted water-dependent, or actually becomes a therapeutic agent. But it's better for a normal person to eat a ketogenic diet to produce deuterium-depleted water because their mitochondria is still working. So as long as, you're, as long as you produce your own water, you're actually not gonna use much water from like what you drink. It's only for solvent capacity. It's not gonna get into your metabolism. And what's really important to understand this whole story is that what Dr. Seyfried was showing, that mitochondrial defect, that's called hydropic degeneration. That mitochondria is defective because it really cannot recycle this water and actually it, it gets accumulated in the mitochondria. So what you see in those mitochondria is actually matrix water accumulating. So, it, and, and then it leads to the oxidative stress and so on. But the first step in carcinogenesis when it, when it, when it is consistent with mitochondrial metabolism is this fumarate hydratase reaction is not very effective. Three out of the seven reactions of the TCA cycle does nothing but adds water to the metabolites. And for example, citrate synthase actually adds water and takes water out. So it adds its own matrix water and takes the water that is coming in with, with this glucose molecule to make it deuterium depleted. So mitochondria don't take a chance to oxidize anything from from the carbohydrate pool, but mitochondria oxidizes fatty acids on the spot without actually replacing those, with those hydrogens. But from carbohydrates, it would act through citrate synthase, it would actually deplete it of deuterium before it gets into any further in metabolism. It's, it's very interesting, this whole story. Thank you. Coming up next time on the Live in Alita Low Carb Show, we'll take a look at ketogenic diets and brain health as it relates to Alzheimer's disease with a 2016 Tampa Keto Conference lecture from Dr. Mary Newport. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in Levita Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Light. <laughs>